Welcome to Enhanced Living. I'm your host, Adam Kruger. Enhanced Living is all about becoming the best version of ourselves and growing to be exactly who we were meant to become. Now, I've been through so many ups and downs in my life, and the one thing that I've learned is that there's always a next step to take on our path and our journey in this life. No matter how successful you currently are, there's always a way to be a better version of you. This podcast is all about figuring out that process. Through my own insights and interviews with extraordinary people, I hope you'll be inspired to evolve and become the best version of yourself. Let's jump right in. For those of you who've been following me for a while, you probably know that I'm I'm very much in tune with lots of things going on around me. I, I, I live according to the vibe and energy, and I have always said that everything is energy, and, and, and energy cannot be created nor destroyed, which is my my justification, or I would call it my scientific proof for the fact that, you know, you can manifest your life. You can bring things to you in any capacity that you want and that your your attitude, your mood, and your behavior and your thoughts will create your life. Well, on today's episode, I have someone who is an actual specialist in energy and the afterlife talking about spirits. And I'm not even gonna get too far ahead of myself. I'm just gonna introduce him right now. Uh, My guest today is a fourth generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He is an Oxford educated attorney licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington DC, and before the United States Supreme Court. Now, he also travels to mystical locations in remote corners of the world to examine ancient mysteries and supernatural phenomena, which I will definitely be asking him about. Uh, And he appears nationwide on TV and radio, including CBS TV's The Doctors and Gaia TV's Beyond Belief with George Nouri. He's also the co-host of The Psychic and The Doc on the Transformation Network. He's a featured speaker at conferences, expos, and universities, which include Brown, Columbia, Harvard, and Yale and is a columnist for the best uh, sorry for best holistic life magazine and the best selling author of never letting go and evidence of eternity his highly anticipated cutting edge new book the afterlife frequency was published recently by new world library welcome to the show today the psychic explorer mark anthony mark thanks so much for being on the show thank you adam it's an honor to be here and i really appreciate you having me on oh it's it's my absolute pleasure so i i want to start real quick because uh, it's it you are a fourth generation psychic medium, which means that your your parents, their parents, the parents before them and the parents before them all had this gift of being able to tap in to the I, I want to call it the eternal consciousness of all that is, uh, for lack of a better term. And I want to know, first of all, what that was like growing up in, in a household where where communicating with the afterlife is is just a normal occurrence. And at what age did you figure out that you also had the gift? Yeah. Um, first off, um, uh, thank you. Yeah, my family, um, I was about three and a half years old, and I started talking to my invisible friends. The thing is, Adam, my parents could see who I was talking to. So, you know, because it's not unusual for a toddler to have invisible friends, but my parents realized that I had the ability. And I remember my dad going, oh, God, he's got it. And my mom going, oh, God, he's got it. You know, because the two sides of the family really couldn't be more different. <clears throat> my dad, um, he was a Navy SEAL and a NASA engineer. So talk about a no-nonsense guy. And his sister, Marjorie, his mother, Isabel, and his maternal grandmother, Grace, were all mediums. And they were from this very waspy, proper Pennsylvania Baptist family. And so it wasn't discussed openly. Everything was behind closed doors. And um, but dad, dad, having been a seal, knew from from uh, 
from personal experience that you have to rely on your intuition, your, your um, gut feeling. Okay. You know, and it's funny because I, I like being interviewed by men um, in, in the metaphysical arena, because as guys, you know, we're raised not to express our feelings in, in public. Um, but the thing is intuition, um, situational awareness, psychic ability is a very emotional thing. And if you talk to any first responder or military personnel, they'll tell you, you got to rely on that gut. And that's what that is. Now, my mother's side of the family was of Italian descent and in and her great grandmother, excuse me, my great grandmother, my mother's maternal grandmother, Giovanna, was known in the in Little Italy, in New York City and in North New Jersey as the woman who knew things. <laughs> and a couple of years back, PBS did a special. Yeah, I think it was in 2016 called the Italian Americans four hour special. They actually, Adam, they actually did an entire segment on Giovanna and they talked about her psychic abilities. And I remember watching it, you know, and calling my cousins on the breaks and we're all like, Oh my gosh, you know, and, and seeing the uh, pictures of, um, of Giovanna and then actually a short interview with her daughter, uh, my grandmother, Angelina, um, a talk about, about our family's background. So, you know, as, as a kid, I didn't think this was weird, but I remember when I was about to, to start first grade, I was, I was five years old when I started school and dad told me, he says, Mark, you can talk about this to your mother and me, but don't talk about it to other people because they won't understand. And he said, because people who see things, others don't get taken away. All right. Now talk about I mean, I, I got that memo and it, and I always wondered what he meant by that. You know, and I went to Catholic school and I thought, okay, well, you know, they talk about angels and saints and all these supernatural, uh, you know, invisible entities, but I saw pretty quickly what my parents were talking about because, you know, and with all due respect to, to, to the Catholic church and to all the religions, you know, they have, they have their way of looking at things. But what I found out, Adam, is that years before I was born, my father's sister, Marjorie, she, she was an amazing woman. I never met her, at least not in when she was in this world. Um, this all happened long before I was born. But she not only could perceive spirits, but she had this incredible ability to sense when things were about to happen. And unfortunately for her, she married this guy that uh, was, was a religious I guess, fanatic. <laughs> um, I guess maybe we can call him uh, a religious extremist, but um, he didn't appreciate her abilities. And one morning he was getting ready to go to work and he was a machinist who worked at the steel plant in Pennsylvania. And as he was getting ready to leave, she, she, she just threw a fit. She goes, something horrible is going to happen. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it in my gut. And she goes, please don't go. And he goes, fine, you and that voodoo stuff. So he stayed home. Well, Adam, that day, a crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams and the cable snapped and it crushed the machine shop that he worked in and killed everybody in it. Wow. Okay. You think he would have been grateful, but he felt that her abilities were sinister and being prompted by Satan. He found a doctor, a psychiatrist, to diagnose her as a schizophrenic 
she was forcibly removed from her home and involuntarily subjected to electroshock therapy for over six months. And it did so much damage to her brain that she never again spoke of future events or seeing spirits. Now, I didn't know this until I was an adult. You know, it was one of those things the family didn't. All I knew is my mother could not stand him. She said, no, he's never coming here. We're never going to see him, you know, because mom was big time psychic. And and um, and um, the funny thing is, Marjorie comes to me a lot. In fact, in, in my new book, The Afterlife Frequency, uh, I wrote about Marjorie in my last book, Evidence of Eternity. And she reappears in this book because in the first chapter, because she shows up when things are not good. Okay, like she gives me the heads up. And so that's why my dad was so afraid of me talking about this. And now I understand that because when I was a little kid being told you're going to get taken away, um, that got my attention. And that was the thing about my dad. He was a seal to the fingertips. His family came first. He protected us. And I'm, I'm really glad that I listened to him. Yeah, I mean, that's there. First of all, there's so much in there that I that I want to unpack. But I, you know, for for lack of, of timing, I'm going to pick and choose a few things, you know, um, first of all, I, I want to just talk about this, this, uh, this theme of fear, because, you know, it, it came up a bunch in the story. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, people tend to fear the things that they don't understand, and the things that they they don't feel like they can know about, right? So, a, why do you think it is that people fear death and the afterlife so much? Why do you, why is it that you think that they, you know, look at people like yourself who have the ability to tap into this frequency, which again, for everybody listening, at the end of the day, everything is energy, right? So either you're able to attune to a frequency or you're not, right? And right. so I, I personally believe that everyone is able to tune in to every single frequency that's available. I mean, provided that you have a working functioning, you know, psyche and body and so on and so forth. I, I don't believe that anyone's special or better than anyone else or worse than anyone else. I believe that we are all created, um, you know, with our specific gifts and, and we can, it, you know, you can, you can train yourself to tap into these frequencies and to tune in. Some are born with it wide open. Others have to really work at it, but coming back to it, right. Um, why is it that you think that people are so fearful of, of a dying, right? Which I, I think both of us understand is not really, it's a transformation as opposed to an actual finality. Um, and why is it that they fear the unknown and, and, and this, this difference where, where people can actually tap into that? All right, let's take, um, good. Those are excellent questions. Let's take them one at a time. Why do people fear death? Well, one day, somebody he is here that you love and the next day that they're not their body ceases to function and people people grieve as deeply as they have loved and so grief is the price of love everything that we are aware of everything that we experience adam is finite our human brain is designed for finite perception. Think of your body as a bottle and the brain is the cork, okay? Uh, and the brain is the interface between the collective consciousness, which taps is, is part of the afterlife frequency, and your soul is inside the, the bottle, okay? 
And there's a reason that we're in this finite material world so that we can experience things that you don't when you're in a purely eternal, purely energetic state. And grief is part of the human existence. The problem is because of our finite understanding of things, think about it. The sun rises, it traverses the sky, and then it sets. So our day has a finite existence. Um, we are born, we grow old, and we die. So we tend to think that everything has a limited period of existence. And then when somebody dies, the person that meant so much to you physically is no longer here. And that's terrifying for people. And I believe that the greatest fear of all is that someone that meant so much to you has disintegrated into nothing. Well, then we have belief systems which teach that the soul, who and what we are, in uh, the realm of psychology and science, the consciousness, okay, so soul and spirit and consciousness, we're all essentially describing the same thing, pre-exists the body, comes into the body, and then moves on. And we know from the laws of physics that energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. This is leading into to one of the key concepts in my book. But what happens is that religions, which are a finite human attempt to interface and understand the infinite, have tried to gain a monopoly on our understanding of this. And so here's where the fear comes in because religion um has been an extension of governments and i mean look what's happening in afghanistan okay and i don't want to get political but you have a theocracy there a government ruled by religion and look i'm all about god and religion but i certainly don't want to live under a religious form of government okay because mutilation stoning burning blinding i mean that's like you know dime a dozen in the in these uh these uh bronze and iron age uh, belief systems and so the the religions say that you can only get to god through us through our dogma through our clerics and by the way you owe us 10 percent of your your wealth and then you can get to god so what's happened is is religions have created this polarization between what we all have is a direct connection to the divine and instead monopolized it and say that if you deviate from what we're teaching that's evil that's bad and you're going to burn forever in hell and so this has come up that you know here mediums are not of god oh it's not really a spirit talking to you but a demon a demon impersonating your loved ones let me ask you adam why would a demon want to bring forth messages of love, healing, inner peace, and resolution, and make you filled with joy that your loved one is now an eternal living spirit and didn't disintegrate into nothingness? Does that sound like an evil and demonic agenda to you? No, not at all. And, and personally, I don't believe in demons anyhow. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, it's it's all mythology. Um in fact, I, I gave a lecture recently on reincarnation. Um, it was called Debunking Death, the Science of Reincarnation and Near-Death Experiences. And, and also in, in my new book, um, The Afterlife Frequency, I go into the history of hell. Where did hell come from? How did hell evolve? 
And, and it's really a fascinating uh, journey of how we have created over, over millennia this concept of, of health. And um, it actually, outside of Jerusalem, in, in uh, ancient Judea, there's a valley known as uh, the Hinnom Valley. And in the Hinnom Valley, there's an area called Gehenna. And if you were a criminal or dishonored or you couldn't afford a proper funeral, they would take your body, uh, the ancient Israel, Israelites, and they would throw it into pits of fire that they called fire and brimstone. And they were sulfur pits. Ooh, sulfur, fire, brimstone. Well, while Judaism has no concept of hell, they, they, this did become part of the culture. You know, it's like, if you're bad, you'll end up at Gehenna. And so then the Romans conquer this area. And the concept of, of Gehenna gets absorbed into the Roman Empire. Meanwhile, on the northern border of the Roman Empire are the Germans and the Vikings. And their religion gets um, assimilated as well. And the goddess of the underworld, her name was hell. She was the goddess of death in the underworld. So guess where the expression go to hell comes from? It doesn't mean go to this fiery pit. It means I wish you would die. So it's like an ancient Viking curse. Go to hell means I wish you would go, go and die. And the father of this goddess was Loki. He was mischievous and evil and crafty, and he struck down their god Balder, the beautiful, handsome god of light, who who uh, died and then rose from the third on the third day. All right, so you start seeing all these different influences um, seeping into the Roman Empire and then um, being mashed together with the the newly formed uh, teachings of Christ. So a couple hundred years after the death of Jesus, we get to the Roman Emperor Constantine. Roman Empire is a mess. It's falling apart, but Constantine's a strong general, defeats all of his rivals, becomes absolute ruler of the Roman world. So what he does is he says, well, pretty much no one believes in the old gods of Mount Olympus anymore. They're all into this Christian cult. So let's, let's, um, let's have an authoritative text for it. So he convened the Council of Nicaea, and the first version of the Bible was ordered into existence in uh, about the, the around the year 330-335 AD. And the imperial decree said, Jesus is God, and he will return. But until he does, Constantine, Emperor of the Romans, is his representative on earth. And if you disobey the, the laws and the rule of the emperor, you will be cast forever into hellfire and brimstone. Dun, dun, dun. So the one thing the Romans really knew how to do was inflict fear. They were really good about that. And, and so what happened was over the centuries, this became part of the culture. And even as the, the Western part of the Roman Empire collapsed and the Eastern continued on for, for until 1453, but every European king grabbed this, oh, I'm God's representative, and if you disobey me. And that's why even when you look at like Tsarist Russia, you know, the fall of it around World War I, you look at uh, Louis Fourteenth and all the great European kings, Henry VIII, you know, I am the head of the church and all this. 
all these kings said that they ruled by divine right and that if you disobeyed them, you were going to go to hell. Okay, so so this fear has come up and that anyone who has a direct connect to God, which would be you or me or anyone that that has a spiritual experience. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. It's got to go through the church. And therefore, what you're doing is evil. And so that's where all this fear comes in. And it's it's really sad because um, God exists in spite of religion, not because of it. And what I'm happy to see is that there's now a lot of more progressive sects, CTS, sects um, in, in uh, both Christianity and even in Islam, which are more open to spirit communication, open to the concept of reincarnation, and do away with this hellfire and brimstone and you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. Very interesting. You know, first of all, that was a really thorough explanation. And, and and that was enlightening for me because there was a lot of stuff in there that I had no idea about, which so thank you for that. It was absolutely fascinating. Um, you know, it's interesting because while you were talking about it, you were saying, you know, the sun rises and sets. And that's how the majority of people see it is that the sun traverses across the sky. But really, if you change your perspective and understand that, hey, wait a second, the sun's not actually going anywhere. The earth is orbiting around the sun and it's orbiting on its axis. And so that's what's causing day and night and the years to pass. And so when you think about it from the perspective of someone like yourself, who's able to attune to the afterlife frequency to throw to drop your, your book there uh, for a second, um, you know, you, you're there, it, there it is. If, if you're watching this on YouTube, if I've published it there, then uh, you can see the book right there. Go ahead and grab it. You can get it anywhere books are sold. Uh, the afterlife frequency by Mark Anthony. Uh, there's your plug. Um, <laughs> so, so, but if you, if you think about it from that perspective, really it's, it's the fact that everything is, perspective. It's the ability to shift your understanding of the situation, right? So when you're born, you see something. As you get older, you see it differently. As you get older, you see that that same thing even even differently still, right? So, so I just thought that that was interesting because it's all about perspective. And, you know, coming into this whole idea of, of having a spiritual experience, look, I've, I've had, I went and had a past life regression done. I was able to uh, see uh, five of my past lives. Now I have talked about this on the show before, but I was able to, I, I was in the body while I was in this regression and felt the things that my past self felt. And, and it was, it was honestly stuff that I could not have made up if I had dreamed of it. Cause some of it was just so out there a uh, couple times, a couple of them weren't even on this planet. Okay. Like that's mm -hmm. how out there it was. Right. And so do I know for a fact that it's 100% real? No, I don't. I just know what I saw and what I felt. And most importantly for me was the message that came from it. Um, so I want to I wanna just oh, kind of on, now. And what was that message? Oh, it was a different one from each from each life. I was able to sum up a different one from each life. So one of them was, you know, the fact that, you know, if you're doing your best, it's good enough. Stop beating yourself up. Um, that was one message that I took that Very was, important. you know, Another one was to play to your strengths. So you're not always going to be necessarily comparable to the person sitting next to you, but they can't do what you do so well as they can do what they do so well. And so stop comparing yourself to other people. Um, there was a few different things that I kind of just, and I was like, wow, yeah, these are definitely messages that I needed to hear, right? So whether the past life regression was me seeing past lives or getting messages from from beyond. I mean, I've always felt a really strong connection with my my maternal grandfather who passed away when my mom was 12. 
Um, you know, when I, I, I mentioned at the beginning, I had gone to meditation circles. Actually, I don't know if I said this before we started recording or not, but, you know, I had done that and I had been working with a medium and she taught me how to, to you know, go into meditation and, and try to connect with uh, my grandfather. And I remember doing it in my room. I was 19 years old and I went into meditation and I, I found myself in my plain white room and I populated it with a couple of chairs and I asked him to come and join me and he did. And I was so overcome with emotion that I literally came out of it, just tears streaming down my face. And and I know that he's been looking out for me ever since I was little because I've I've always kind of felt him around. And and it's it's, you know, again, do I have tangible proof? No, but I don't need tangible proof because I know in my in my soul, in my heart, in my gut that it's real, um, which kind of brings me back around uh, right right before we jump into the book, because I really want to get there. You had mentioned, you know, about intuition and following right. your gut and how males in society in general are not allowed to tap into this because right. it's it's frowned upon for men to cry or for I mean, it's better nowadays, but you know, go back enough time. And, and if you're a guy that's crying, you're going to be called a girly, a girl, or you're going to be called a wuss, or you're going to be called names. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that we all have our intuition and we all should be listening to this. Right. And so I want to know, um, let's, let's, let's actually, this is a great time to jump into, into the afterlife frequency. So you wrote this book and, in, and you discuss, uh, cause this it's perfectly fits. You discuss the raft technique, right? Which is recognize, accept, feel, and trust. So I want to know what you encounter as people's biggest blocks to accepting the fact that they're actually getting these messages from, from beyond. Well, I, I, let me tell you how I came up with the raft technique. Cause that will, will help, um, explain that. So when I was working on the book, I wanted to figure out a way how to explain to people who are not necessarily mediums or psychics, how they can still have a medium or psychic experience. And, and I agree with you um, completely, Adam, that everybody can tune into these frequencies, but some people are simply better at it than others. It's like some people are better surfers, some people are better mathematicians, some people are better musicians. You know, we're all good at different things. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things about living in the material world. I mean, think of it, if we were all the same, we'd be like a school of fish, you know, it'd be like, you know, we'd react the same, be the same size, look the same, but we're not. And we're not for, for a reason because um, the gift that we all have is individuality. So I'm here working and I'm beating my head literally against the wall because I just couldn't come up with anything. I had the dreaded writer's block. So I thought, all right, I live near the ocean. I'm going to go for a walk on the beach because I find that, you know, nature's healing. So I'm walking down my driveway and all of a sudden I get this tingly sensation. So, okay, okay. I know that that's the presence of a spirit. And I do an about face and instead head toward this bike path, which is near my house. So I'm walking down the bike path and I'm like, okay. And I see these two objects shining in the sun and I'm like, huh? And I walk up to them and it's a nickel and a penny. And I'm going, I'm bending over to pick them up and I hear my mother's voice. Okay. My mother and father are on the other side and you know, mom was Italian and they had a superstition for everything on that side of the family. It was like, if they're not heads up, don't touch them. Okay. Cause you know, there's supposed to be bad luck. And then I hear my dad's voice. It's money. Grab it. And I'm laughing. Okay. So I pick this up and I'm looking at this nickel and this penny. I go, oh, six cents. And then I go, six cents. And I, all right. And then I'm getting cold chills and tingles. So I knew something was up. All right. Okay. Okay. So I knew that my parents were trying to tell me something. And then I saw in my mind's eye an image of my father standing in the ocean holding this blue 
canvas raft that he had. I'm like, okay, dad was a SEAL. Dad was a scuba diver, a swimming instructor. And all of a sudden I go, recognize, accept, feel, trust, raft, that's it. You know, and so I run back home and and that just the words fly out on my fingers. I just started, just started writing. And that was what they were trying to tell me is that what I teach in, 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 in my book, The Afterlife Frequency, is how to recognize the signs when a spirit is near, okay? So I was getting cold chills and tingles, and instead of thinking, oh, this is something spooky, I know that that's the spirit's electromagnetic field interfacing with mine. Accept the experience as real, okay? So I hear my parents' voices, feel it. Now, this is where people go wrong. And I'm glad that you asked that because it's a three-step process. We can recognize the spirit. Okay, accept that it's happening. But what happens here in the third step is where people begin to think instead of feel. And that's what I call cross-examining the experience. Oh, this can't be real. Um, this must be my imagination. It's probably grief-induced hallucination. This has got to be some kind of... And you start picking it apart and that's it. It fizzles out. But if you feel it, okay, I feel this message and I'm feeling without fear, that will lead you to the final step of trusting it, okay? And so I go into a much more um, in-depth explanation and also I give some exercises how to, to work with each step in the book. But the raft technique is, is a four-step process. And here's the thing, Adam, it's not just for situations like that. It's for, let's say you go for a reading with a medium. You use the raft technique to help understand the experience in the reflection after the reading. Also for people who've had a near-death experience can use raft to help better understand it. People who are near a loved one who is dying. And while that person is transitioning, he or she may be um, seeing and actually engaging with spirits of loved ones who've passed. And what happens with deathbed visions is they overlap into what's known as an SDE, a shared death experience. Mm -hmm. And bystanders who are not in any imminent danger of dying will then experience what the dying person is seeing. They'll see loved ones. They'll feel like they're being lifted up off their feet. They'll start hearing indescribably beautiful music. They will even, in some instances, get caught up in the life review of the person who's dying. You know, the proverbial, my life flashed before my eyes. That is um, a very, very common denominator that we've observed in near-death experiences and in survival of consciousness studies. So the RAF technique will help you help the reader um, learn how to recognize, accept, feel, trust, and then integrate and assimilate those experiences so that you get the most out of it. I, 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 that's, I mean, first of all, that's amazing. Uh, I think that that's a, a really phenomenal technique because, uh, you know, just, just knowing what I know about my own life and how I've operated because I'll, I'll get an intuitive nudge. And so for me, it's a little different, right? I don't feel like I'm, I'm hearing something from a specific spirit most of the time. Most of the time, I just get an intuitive nudge and I go, okay, I'm doing that. Like, it's just like a, a thought of like, you should call this person and I just go ahead and do it. 
Um, but I know that if I analyze the the thought or the the that feeling that comes in, because it's different from a thought. Sometimes you're sitting there and you're thinking, all right, let me let me. I need to do X Y Z. Other times it's it's just this knowing feeling, and that's how I think. That's how I discern between intuitive and and just my mind racing, right? And so as soon as I I follow that intuitive nudge, because I always do, and and well. I try to always do. <laughs> um, Look, we all, I mean, myself included, you know, you hit the F part. You start yeah. thinking and not feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so I, every, but every time I've done it and I've I've changed my entire life around literally uh, at least three times within a matter of 10 months to a year by just following an intuitive nudge that I was just like, yep, this is what we're doing. And and thankfully my 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 life partner, my wife, she's she's on board with this and she for sure always is is she she leads the charge. I mean she you know so so but when it comes to discerning between intuitive thought and 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 the thoughts that that just come from our, our busy monkey brains that we have, um, what would you say is the best bit of advice you could give to people for for being able to to get to that trust place and 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 stay in the feeling place without overanalyzing and also distinguishing between that intuitive nudge from the beyond versus uh, I'm just pulling at straws here because it's in my brain. No, you, your question is extremely important. And, and thank you. Thank you for asking. How do you tell the difference when you get to the T, the trust? Well, in our world now, you know, with, with the the internet and all this turmoil and the political and the conspiracy theories and all this, there's people who are going around saying, God told me to get people to fly airplanes into buildings. God told me to put on this vest and blow up a whole bunch of people. God told me to start this insurrection. God told me so on and so forth. Okay. That's not coming from the divine. That's not coming from spirits, the collective consciousness, that's the human ego. And so if you have an experience and it is inciting you or giving you the impulse to commit acts of anger, bigotry, hatred, or violence, it has nothing to do with spirituality and it is not coming from spirits. It's coming from the ego, which is manufactured by the human brain. And I like to think of ego as edging God out. All right. It's all this me, 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 me. And think about it. Whenever you've done anything hurtful to another person, was it because you were acting out of love for that person? Or were you acting in a purely self as center view of the universe? I think we all know the answer to that question. And so you know that it is a spiritual message if it's about love, healing, inner peace, and resolution. And those are the messages that come from spirits. In, in many of the readings that I do, um, all of a sudden, the spirit or group of spirits will start giving me a tremendous amount of medical information about the person that I'm doing the reading for. And, and I always tell people, look, this is not a substitute for going to the doctor. However, they can be highlighting something that you're dealing with or focusing your attention to something that you may not be aware of. And people say, well, you know, Uncle, Uncle you know, Barney didn't know anything about medicine. Yeah, but Uncle Barney, see, spirits are not just invisible humans. 
being pure energy, they're energetically interconnected with other spirits, connected to other spirits, connected to other spirits. This is what I call the collective consciousness. Yes, they're individuals, but they're patched into, let's call it the cosmic internet, okay, the collective consciousness. So they can draw upon this tremendous base of knowledge and information. And, you know, um, Adam, it's just been uncanny over the years, you know, people contacting me saying, uh, I, I was on a radio show, and I, I got this, this email a couple of weeks later, and I said to the guy, I was doing a reading on, on air, and it said, you have this, this genetic anomaly, and you need to get this checked, because I never even heard of that. So he emails me, goes, I went to my doctor and said, check for this, and they did, and he had it. And he said, you know, we were able to head it off at the pass so it wouldn't kill him. And thing is, I've got hundreds of stories like this. Look, I have a, a fairly decent understanding of anatomy and physiology, but I'm not a geneticist. Okay, so when they start giving me, you have this genetic proclivity for this, 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 and this. And I know that that's not coming from me. That's coming from the collective consciousness. And it's a message of healing. So that's how you can tell. Um, I, I know I went a little bit longer with, with that answer, but uh, that's a hard question to answer without going into some detail. No, that, that makes sense. And you, you spoke about the, the, the cosmic internet, and I'm assuming there's less spam on the cosmic internet. Uh, yeah, you know, that. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love that. That's great. Well, Think of, uh, if I could, I want to explain my concept of the electromagnetic soul. This is a term that I uh, developed. Neuroscience is the study of the human brain. And neuroscientists believe that consciousness, who and what we are, our sense of identity and self and our ability to perceive and, and integrate and, 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 uh, and assimilate the world around us is a result of chemical reactions and electrical impulses. But Neuroscience cannot explain how that happens. And if you look at a neuroscience book, there's a thousand pages on functions of the brain and maybe a paragraph, maybe two, on consciousness. You know who told me that? Dr. Eben Alexander, a neuroscientist who had a near-death experience. And I took him up on the challenge and I started looking at neuroscience books and darn if he wasn't right. I guess that's what happens when you're a Harvard professor, right? Um, <laughs> But, but the, the thing is, that's because your brain doesn't create consciousness. Consciousness pre-exists your body, comes into your body, and then moves on after you die. And we know from the laws of thermodynamics and physics, energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. So I spent years researching this, and in my law practice, and in my civil, um, the civil end of my practice, I specialized in head injury litigation, so I studied the brain. Guess what? It operates on electromagnetic energy. And so I developed the term, the electromagnetic soul, to describe what we really are, which is pure consciousness that is eternal electromagnetic energy. So when we die, think of your EMS. And the scientists who've um, reviewed and endorsed my book I've already started using the term EMS. So thank you. That's very, I'm very honored. Your EMS, your soul, your spirit is like a drop of water, which plunges into this eternal sea of, of consciousness. That's why I call it the collective consciousness. And you're still an individual, but you can adjust your frequency so that you or me or whoever's having the experience 
can perceive them and they draw upon that database to transmit this information to the recipient. That's, that's I mean, fascinating. And and I, I believe it or not, I, I do actually completely agree with that um, understanding of how things work. Uh, intuitively, I felt that that's kind of just what's going on uh, for as long as I can remember for that fact. Um, but I, I wanna drill back just to the question of how do, uh, how do we have people discern between what's coming in as intuition versus versus you know egoic thought i want to bring it down to a little bit more of a mundane uh you know question as opposed to like the whole like oh i should go blow something up or i should go to do something horrible to people i want to i'm more so along the lines of like i'll i'll give a quick example i i i had this gut feeling at one point to actually it was it came to me in a dream for that matter i i, I had i was contemplating a career change back in 2016 or 2015 and i remember waking up in the middle of a dream where they were like no don't don't change direction do this do this go submit to the thing you saw yesterday don't don't stop and i woke up and i was like okay message heard loud and clear and i went and i submitted and and it turned into like that that one specific thing led me to exactly where i am right now if i i can connect the dots easily right so a normal human being might have gone oh well that was a weird dream and i i shouldn't say a normal human being because i i I guess I'm sort of, but you know, your average person who doesn't necessarily tune in might go, oh, well, that was a weird dream and then let it go and never look back at it. How do you discern between those thoughts? And even that one is is an easy one to to know because it was so strong, more so the ones that come in where it's like, hey, you know, you should check and see what your buddy John's doing. I know you haven't spoken to him in four years, but you should really check up on him. Like he just pops into your mind, right? How do you discern between that being a random thought and an intuitive nudge? That is the question, isn't it? You know, because our brain never shuts off. I mean, it's it's going all the time. Once again, it's how does it feel? Is it love, healing, resolution, inner peace? You know, if you think, gee, I should give my friend John a call. Maybe he really needed to hear a friendly voice. Maybe he's gone through a rough patch. Even if he doesn't admit that, maybe just the fact that he's being acknowledged really helps. It's kind of like being the proverbial um, stranger on the bus. You sit there and then somebody that's very distraught tells you what's their, all their woes and troubles. And you may never see that person again, but because you listened, perhaps you saved that person's life by validating them, but you may never know. And so it's very difficult sometimes to discern these things. You know, is this just a random thought, but is anything random? All of our thoughts occur for a reason. All of our thoughts are electromagnetic impulses. And, you know, and it's, it's like um, psychology 101, feelings are neither good nor bad. It's what you do with your feelings or how you act on them that makes them good or bad. And that really is true. You know, because sometimes our feelings and impulses, it's, you know, you have low blood sugar and you're in a bad mood, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, um, and, and, uh, you know, the joke I like to make is anyone can be enlightened on a mountaintop in Sedona. It's when you're stuck in traffic, okay, and you're agitated and you're late and you haven't had anything to eat and the person in front of you just doesn't know how to drive, or at least that's your perception. That's the real challenge. That's the challenge for all of us. So, yes, um, I, the answer is you have to go with what resonates through you. And once again, it all comes to love, healing, and resolution. 
I love that. I think that's I think that's really wise advice. And while you were talking about the anyone could be enlightened on a mountaintop in Sedona, which I have been, by the way, um, I don't know about enlightened, but definitely on a mountaintop in Sedona and definitely feeling the energy there. And it's it's amazing. Um, it reminded me of something that the late and great Dr. Wayne Dyer used to say, which is that anyone can be, uh, you know, if you feel like you're really enlightened, go spend a week with your family, you know, because <laughs> I think that it's, I think that's really sage advice in the sense of, you know, yes, you do have to be able to, uh, you know, stay with your centered, balanced self when you're in undesirable circumstances. That really is the real test. It, it is. It, it is. And, and it's a challenge for all of us. You know, people think, oh, you're a medium, like you're so at peace. And it's like, look, um, I'm a normal human being. And, you know, I have a family. And, you know, we all have stresses and things. What 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 having this ability gives me insights. It doesn't make me all knowing and all seeing. And, you know, when I connect with the afterlife frequency and this information comes through, I mean, it's as big a surprise to me as it is to the person receiving it. It's just that I'm used to it. You know, I mean, I was doing a group reading and in, in, in Florida, and I, I kept seeing this little girl who died, and I start describing her, and I feel like her body was in water and it was decaying, and this guy stands up, I'm, I'm describing her, and he says, I'm the guy who found Kaylee Anthony's body. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> and he was, and I'm, I was looking at him and then I realized, oh my God, he was on TV. I saw him like all over the place. Okay. And it was a beautiful message that she gave him. She said, you're braver than my daddy ever was, you know, and I don't want to get into the whole Kaylee Anthony thing, but, but the thing is this poor guy, he was a, um, a trucker and he stopped to go, you know, relieve himself and he smelled something and then he sees his body and he calls the police and they initially arrested him, you know, just, you know, it's always go with the most obvious suspect. And then they discovered that he, you know, he, he had not done this, you know, but um, I wasn't expecting that night to connect with the guy that found the body of, of Kaylee Anthony, um, you know, and, and, um, but I'm, I'm used to facilitating this communication. So you always have to expect the unexpected. That's a, yes. And I, I think that's wise advice for anyone in life is to just expect the unexpected because, you know, but then I guess if you're expecting the unexpected, is anything ever unexpected? No. Um, oh, it, <laughs> well, you know, um, one of my favorite authors, J.R.R. Tolkien, and I'm sure we've all seen Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit and all that, but read it. Okay. Yeah. The movies are great. You know, Peter Jackson. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. But, but uh, Tolkien's considered, uh, his, the Lord of the Rings is considered the greatest literary work of the 20th century, or at least one of them. And there's this one line um, that one of the hobbits, I think it was Bilbo says, it's a dangerous business going out your front door. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, you know, we, we have these, these lives where we get up and you know, we drive to work or walk to the bus stop or, you know, train station or whatever it is. And, oh, we're going to stop and pick up some groceries. And, and it's a routine thing. And then there's that one day where it isn't, you know, and, and that's also part of, of what I discuss in afterlife frequency is developing your sense of spiritual situational awareness. You know, being raised by a Navy SEAL dad's mantra be aware be aware i mean he was drilling that and and it's true because any first responder any military personnel 
they walk into a situation and they observe everything that's going on in a like a sphere 360 degree attention span well you have to enhance that even further and by employing the raft technique make sure that you're open to spiritual awareness as well because that that's one of those skills that that helps you develop your intuitive senses and also very well may save your life you know what you said earlier adam about you had this this impulse where you woke up and you said that you needed to change your career path and here you are now do you really think that was a random thought no 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 i know it wasn't i i know it was i know it was my guides telling me hey look because i had i was contemplating you know leaving television hosting and i had seen a um a, uh, like a casting notice for something, you know, just the night before. And I was like, I'm not going to submit to this. I'm done. I'm just, I just want to, you know, I was writing a book at the time. I was, I was in the middle of other things. And, and I remember I went to sleep and I woke up that morning with, you know, it was literally like, do not give up on your hosting career. It was like, they were screaming at me, like, don't. And I was like, okay, okay, fine. And so I submitted. And then with that, I ended up, um, lead hosting, uh, you know, three different panel shows for that same, like off of that same thing, which then led to another project that I went and did in Vegas. And then another project that I did for, for CBS down in LA over the course of like 50 episodes. And it all, it would not have happened if I had actually gone, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just going to let it all go. Obviously I would have gone in a different direction. Who knows where I would be today. But so no, I, I know for a fact that it was not a random anything it was straight up like you're not you're going to leave your path if you don't do if you don't do this all right now let's take that let's apply yeah. the raft technique to what you just said you woke up okay mm -hmm. so you recognized that's that you're receiving some type of spiritual um, contact impulse you accepted the reality you felt it you didn't overthink it and you trusted it you see and so some people like yourself, Adam, you just do this naturally. Some people recognize, accept, feel, trust. Other people need to, to learn how to apply each step. And I think that that was a perfect example, you know, because the RAF technique isn't always about, you know, I'm going to do this and then save the world. Okay. It could be an important life decision for you. You know, making that decision was a life changing event. And, and, you know, when we, we open our hearts uh, to, to our spiritual connection, when we have that direct connect, see, spirits and the, the spiritual connection, the divine will never lead you astray, nor are they here to control us. Nothing here is spiritual or controlling. That's where our free will comes in. They can plant suggestions. They can open a door whether or not we go through it now that is our free will yep i i couldn't agree with you more and i i absolutely love it i mean i've i have really lived my life this way in in ever since i was little don't know why i i just it's just one of those things i guess i was born in in tune with that I've always been more of a feeler, like no one's able to lie to me ever. They've never been able to because I know instantly like it's just it's just a thing. I'm really sensitive to um, to energy and in, in general. So I can tell if someone's menacing. I can tell if they're deceitful. I can tell it's very hard for me to go out, actually, um, you know, without 
having to insulate myself in some capacity or another because because there's just too much. I've learned as I've gotten older to protect myself and to um, to not absorb everything so much, right? While still remaining open to it and aware of it, I don't absor- I don't take it on anymore. I mean, I remember one time I was sitting in an audition uh, for something, and I I knew it I knew it cold, and I was so right for it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just relax. And all of a sudden I, I, I start to feel so nervous and I'm, I'm like, why am I nervous? What is going on? And I look next to me and just like three feet away, there's someone sitting next to me and he's shaking his leg and he was like completely nerve wracked. And I looked and I was like, oh, it's him. And as soon as I had that thought, the nerves went away from me. Yes. So I really, and so I've learned since, you know, since then, of course, to, to not pick up on and take people's energy on as myself, but I can, I can still, feel what they're going through and and try to help guide them if they're asking me for advice or so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely a thing where I think to me, if people could learn to just trust their, those gut instincts, those feelings of like, no, 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 this is just a knowing thought. It's not something that's coming in from a greedy place. It's just, no, no, you should do this. Like, it's just a gentle nudge when you can pick up on those, they always lead you in the right direction. Like it's never been, like, oh man, what did I do? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had people say, well, I hear voices and it's like, okay. Um, yeah, I do too, but I can turn it on and off, you know, but when the voices start saying, take ax, go kill your lawyer. Okay. That's not a spirit. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I have to ask you, I, I, you know, this is something, and I'm sure that there's definitely people listening right now going, well, I, I need to know this. Is it, does this, do spirits ever pop up out of nowhere, like in the middle of conversation? You're just like having a conversation with someone and all of a sudden you like see something happening and you're like, um, and if so, do you always tell the person about what you're feeling or seeing in that moment? Or is there sometimes where you're just like, no, I'm not going to do this right now. Yes. Um, I'm very good about turning it on and turning it off because I believe that you need to set the, define the parameters of the contact. You know, the, these mediums that are like, um, oh, I get messages all the time and they run up and tell them. It's like these TV shows where, you know, you run into a pizza parlor and start, you know, throwing a reading at somebody. And, you know, you're, you're in TV, you know that that's, that's not real. I mean, that's all scripted because they got to get releases from everybody's face in there and all the different camera angles and all that and the perfect makeup, lighting and sound. Yeah, that all happens in two minutes, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's like a four or five hour thing. <laughs> you're smiling because I know you know. <laughs> and... And um, yeah, sometimes spirits will will interject to try to get a message through to somebody. Um, I don't always convey it. Like I was on a, a plane, I was coming back. Um, uh, I was I flew out of Newark Airport and I was headed south. And there was this guy sitting next to me, and his mother spirit kept coming through. You know, and she goes, you got to tell my son this. You got to tell my son this. And so we were talking. I said, so what do you do? And he looks at me and goes, I'm in entertainment. And his mother goes, he's a wise guy. And she goes, tell my son. And I'm thinking, no way. No way, man. No way am I telling your son, the gangster, that his mother and spirit is coming through to me. You're going to have to find another conduit. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think you do still have to pick and choose even with, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he would have been open to it, but I I used my own discretion. And also, he was on an airplane, okay? This wasn't time for him to deal with the passing of his mother. 
And, uh, you know, spirits, once you start defining the perimeter of the contact, they'll respect that. It's the inexperienced mediums that think they need to fling a, a message at everybody that they can. Because let's say you do run into that pizza parlor and there's somebody about to take a bite out of a piece of pizza. What are they there for? They're there because they want to eat pizza. They're not there to all of a sudden confront and deal with that. But when someone comes to you and that's what they want to do, then, you know, it's time, place, manner, then it's appropriate. That makes sense. I think, I think that's a really, a really good thing for people to take well, away. Um, look at it this way. Let's say I'm a dentist and I run up to you and just start doing a root canal on you when you're in a pizza parlor and you didn't ask for it. Okay. When you start thinking about it like that, it's like, here, hold on. I'll get some pliers and just start pulling your teeth out. Okay. <laughs> Think of it like, think of it like that. I wouldn't want someone coming up and just doing a root canal on me. It's like, uh, when I'm ready for it, I'm going to go. And I'm not comparing mediumship to a root canal. I'm just giving an extreme (laughs) example. (laughs) No, but it's sometimes you do need to give the extreme example to paint the picture. So people understand exactly what that is. It's, you know, it's the same, it's the age old, you know, thing of, Oh, you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. No, 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 dude. Like, come see my show, you know, uh, or come see me at work. I'm not, you know, I, did I just ask you to do my taxes on the street for free? Like, it's the same. It's the same sort of thing. Um, you know, I, it, it makes sense. The parameters have to be there. It's just I feel like I feel like as someone who's open to receiving messages, right, that there would be events or or circumstances where there's something that is super important that does need to come through in that moment. And you know, so sometimes the parameters are breached. No, or or is it? Is it? Are you very strict about it? Yeah, I can't say that I haven't given messages to people um, like in public, uh, but it seemed to be the right thing to do. But I would say ninety eight percent of the time, I I respect that person's privacy. You know, it's also just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. You know, and and um, and, and I've I've had situations. Um, I wrote about this in my first book. I, I was at a grief counseling group, um, and there was this woman whose mother uh, came through. And when when she was leaving, I said, "Ma'am, is it okay if I give you a message?" Because I, you know, the spirit of your mother came through. She goes, "Mediums are not of God." I said, "Okay, fine, all right." And I started walking away. She goes, "But." what did mother have to say? (laughs) So, so I delivered the message and she goes, my, that is something mother would say, but you're evil. And then she turned and walked off and I'm like, okay, I'm just, you know, letting it go. So, so that's a a prime example of she, she was so enamored or not enamored, so immersed in, in, in fear and her belief system that she really wasn't getting the benefit of what her mother's spirit wanted to tell her. And so that's why I think it's best if we leave it to the, the client, the person who has chosen to seek out a reading for them to determine, to define the parameters that I want this. And then me as the medium to define the parameters of how the communication will be facilitated. Does that, I think that answers, um, answers that. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. So now I want to know for all my listeners, what the biggest takeaway from the afterlife, uh, sorry, from the afterlife frequency would be. Uh, And if you don't want to say that, you could just be like, you know what, you should probably read the book for the biggest takeaway. Um, Well, I I think definitely read the book for the biggest takeaway, but 
um, the message that's been made very clear to me. And do we have a few minutes? It's a, it's not that long of a, a story, but this will explain what my message, Mark Anthony's message is. It was about two weeks after my mother had passed and, and I was running a law firm and I was driving back from court and I was very depressed, very sad because, you know, I was grieving. And all of a sudden I got this sensation um, of that overwhelming grief. And I pulled over because I knew I shouldn't be driving right now. I just needed to get my, my composure together. And I'm, I pulled into a parking space at this strip mall and I'm sitting there and this flash goes off and it's like in my head, and I, you know, it's like the whole car like lit up. And I turn to the, to the passenger side and I see the silhouette of my mother in the silver white light. Okay, so now I'm like, and then I hear her voice saying, you've been given the gift of mediumship so that you would not be crushed by grief, but now you must help those who are suffering with theirs. And then she gave the second part of the message is that you are to help people understand that God exists, that the afterlife exists, that souls are immortal living spirits, that people can communicate with souls, and that you will be reunited with loved ones in the light when it is your appointed time to leave this world. All right. I mean, I break out in a sweat and I'm like falling back into to the seat in my car. Talk about an aha moment. Talk about a life changing event. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm a lawyer. OK, yeah, I, I, I am a medium and I get that. But everything at that moment, Adam, changed. And within a year from that time, I was doing this full time. Um, my book, my first book was coming out. And I remember when I left the practice of law, I was at Harvard and I was getting ready to give a lecture in a, in a mediumship demonstration um, on my first book. And my boss called because uh, I was working at this government agency. And I said, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done. And I hang up and I'm like, oh, my God, I just quit the practice of law. And, and my manager, Rocky, she was with me. She goes, Mark, look around. Where are you? I go, Harvard. She goes, what are you doing in an hour? I said, giving a lecture on the afterlife. She goes, suck it up and go with it. <laughs> and you know what, Adam? I've never looked back. That's a wonderful place to to leave this. I think that's a I think that's a beautiful story, first of all. And there's a great message in there too, which is which is when you when you listen to those intuitive nudges, in your case, you're able to see the spirit of your mom. But I think for most people it's 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 oftentimes just that intuitive intuitive nudge when you listen to it and follow your gut and follow your instincts and intuitions and really your your messages from from beyond, right? Following that afterlife frequency, you're not gonna be led astray. Uh, the Afterlife Frequency can be found anywhere that books are sold. Uh, Mark, can you please let people know where they can find you? Sure. The Afterlife Frequency, um, it's, go to my website, which is afterlifefrequency.com. You can find out about booking a reading with me. You can uh, please sign up for my newsletter, let you know when I'm on shows like, like this one, and also keep you up to date on uh, all of my media and personal appearances. Also, you can buy my book, The Afterlife Frequency, the scientific proof of spiritual contact and how that awareness will change your life. And Adam, I really want to thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, th this was such, such an honor. And I want to 
Um, especially thank all of your listeners. And let me tell you something, I'm on a lot of shows and Adam is one of the most insightful and spiritual hosts I've encountered. So please keep tuning in to, to Adam Kruger. Many blessings. Um, thank you again. Thank you so much, Mark. It was an absolute honor to have you on the show. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Enhanced Living. If you enjoyed what you heard today, share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, kindly subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach me directly at enhancedliving.net. Have a great day.